Good evening. How are you all this evening? Good? See, I love Sunday night services. Uh, most churches don't do this anymore, so this is great. And I get to be close to you all, so this is even better. So I invite you, if you have your copy of God's Word, <clears throat> to take with me and turn to Luke 23. And coincidentally, our call to worship is going to be our text uh, for this evening, but we're going to uh, look over it again uh, here in just a moment. But while you're turning there, I just want to say what an honor it is uh, to be with you all this evening. Uh, I know uh, Pastor Josh Green uh, very well. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, I know that uh, you all are doing great work here at Faradale, and it's encouraging to see that. And it's encouraging to see uh, the community outreach that you all are doing here in the community. Uh, and I'm encouraged by that. Well, if you've uh, found your place, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke 23, verses 35 through 43, but I want to begin reading in 32 to kind of give us a little bit of context about where we are in our, our passage tonight. So I'm going to begin reading in 32, but our main focus is going to be 35 through 43. So hear the word of the Lord. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and divided his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged riled at him saying, you are not, if you are not, you are not the Christ, save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and Lord have revealed who you are through it. Father, I pray that as we walk through the text tonight, Lord, I pray that Christ is, is revealed, and Father, that you would remind us what it means to be saved, and remind us that salvation can only come through Christ in Christ alone. Father, I pray that as I preach tonight, Lord, I pray that you would increase, and Lord, that I would decrease, and Lord, your word would go forth. And I pray this in the holy and majestic and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You know, I often wonder how much we think about the cross. And when I say that, I mean really think about it. For those of us who have been in church for a while and who have been around Christian teaching for some time, I fear that we kind of become desensitized to the cross and we kind of forget its meaning in the place that it holds within our faith. And I mean, think about it. We have images of crosses everywhere. I mean, look behind me, you have an image of a cross. We wear it around our neck. Some, and 
we, we tend to, to forget about the significance that it holds within our faith. We tend to forget the horrible torture device the cross really was. You see, to be nailed to the cross was one of the most gruesome and most painful things anyone could ever endure. Words cannot even begin to describe the pain and the agony of such a great torture. And as we have just read in these verses, Jesus has been nailed to a cross and he's actively dying. And now if we look a few verses back, we can see that beforehand Jesus has been whipped, beaten, mocked, and has carried his own cross up to a place called the skull. And at this moment, Jesus is just a few moments away from his death. This is not a pretty picture. The pain that Jesus is facing is nothing short of excruciating. I mean, think about it. His back is pressed up to a jagged piece of wood after it after he had been whipped, he had open wounds, splinters going into his back, crown of thorns on his head, nails piercing through his hands and his feet, blood running down his face, blood running down the cross. May we never forget the pain that our Savior faced on this day. It is hard for us to even fathom that anything good could come out of this event are on the cross, it is easy for us to get a picture of what the cross represents. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ reveals for us both the sinfulness of man's heart and the love that God has for his people. And so as we walk through our text this evening, we're going to see this contrast played out between these two thieves. We're going to see that the story is not about a good thief, but about a sinful man that through the blood of Jesus Christ has been brought to salvation. We're going to see that even amid all the noise and the chaos surrounding the cross, the saving work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, taking place. And so as we walk through this text this evening, I got three headings that we are going, that are going to help guide our discussion tonight. And the first heading is a divine silence, a divine silence. Look with me again, beginning at verse 35, and it says this, it said, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged growled at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Very few words were spoken that day that our Lord was crucified. In fact, the Gospels only record for us seven statements that Jesus said while he hung dying on the cross. And now Luke only records three of these seven statements for us. And the first one can be found here in verse, back in verse 34 where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second one can be found in verse 43 where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. And then the last one can be found in verse 46, where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Very few words coming from the one who has claimed to be the Messiah. And as we look at this scene, we can clearly see that there is a lot of noise going on, but not on the part of Jesus. Look again with me at verse 35, and it says, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He is the Christ of God, his chosen one. This is a somber picture of the Jewish leaders at the time gazing up at Jesus as his blood was running down the cross, mocking him. The leader screaming at Jesus to save himself and to come down from the cross. This is a gruesome picture, church. The Psalms reveal to us in Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, that the Messiah would be mocked and ridiculed by man. Notice what David says in that Psalm. He said, but I am a worm and and not a man, scorned by mankind and, and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mounts at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You see, to the Jewish leaders of the time, being hung on the cross was the lowest of the low. You couldn't get any lower than this. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, it says, A hanged man is cursed by God. To the Jews, it was madness to think that a man hanging on a cross could possibly be the Messiah. And yet it's ironic, I think, at the same time, that yet they still admitted that he saved people. You saved others, save yourself. So the mockery and the shouting continues, but yet our Lord is still silent. Jesus is still silent. In verses 36 through 38, we see the soldiers join in. Notice what it says. It says, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Now, if this were not enough, the soldiers were mocking him. The Jewish leaders were mocking him. Now we see two thieves join in on the mix. Commentator Kent Hughes describes this scene in, in this way, and he says, both the, Jew, the Jews and pagans crackled their mockery and howling harmony over their tortured prey, but the chorus suddenly enlarged as the dying thieves joined in. The Gospel of Mark reveals for us that those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now, we don't know much about these two thieves The only thing that we really know is what the word means. The word thief in this time means that they were murderers. They were the lowest criminals that you could ever imagine. That's all we know about them. And yet, even through all of this, all of this mockery, the thieves joined in with them, yet Jesus is still silent. Bitter scorn coming from both sides of the cross. We can only picture what this day must have looked like The blood of Jesus running down the cross and the people screaming their abuses at the Son of God. But through all of this, all of this, Jesus still says nothing. And the shouting continued. We see that one of the, and as the shouting continues, we see that one of the thieves falls silent while the other continues along with the crowd. 
Look at verse 39 for a moment. It says, one of the criminals who were hung riled at him saying, you are not the Christ, save yourself and others. Tragically, this one criminal to the left of Jesus had no thought of God, no guilt, no thought of repentance, and no thought of forgiveness. He could only think of himself in his current situation. He wasn't looking for salvation. He was looking out for himself. And as the shouting of the one thief grew louder and louder, and even in the midst of all the chaos and all the noise going around, something amazing is going to happen. We face a lot of noise in our society today, don't we? A lot of things that would try to distract us from the saving work of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, nothing will ever stop the gospel of Christ. Nothing will ever stop his divine plan. And so as the shouting grew louder and louder, we're going to get to see something amazing happen. This thief had fallen silent. And during this short time, he began to understand who this man was on the middle cross. It is at this point that we begin to see a divine transformation taking place. That's our second heading this evening is a divine transformation. You see, amid the shouting and the screaming, we begin to see a solo voice of spiritual sanity ringing out from, of all people, the quieted thief. Look with me, beginning at verse 40. It said, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The silent thief has spoken. Now, there is no doubt that during the moments this man was silent, the Lord had begun to do a work within his heart. It is at this point that we begin to see the contrast between him and the other thief taking shape. Remember, the other thief had no regard for Jesus and certainly no thought of repentance. He could only think of himself. But this thief was a different story. While this other guy was spending all of his energy mocking Jesus, the first thief was experiencing a great heart change. Now, for this other thief to, to be screaming at Jesus and, and to be mocking him like that took a lot of energy. Because the main way the cross killed somebody was through suffocation. So it took a lot of energy for him to be able to pull himself up and to talk to Jesus and, and, and to shout these abuses at him but while the other guy was spending all of his energy mocking Jesus, the first thief was experiencing this change. And this man in his final moments, I believe the first thief was reflecting on a lifetime of rebellion and sin toward God. Recalling the faces of the ones he murdered and, and coming to grips with the reality of his sin. Meanwhile, the thief to the left of Jesus is still shouting, still calling for Jesus to save himself. And as the noise continues, we begin to see the first thief gather up all of his strength, lifting his head and saying these words, don't miss this. Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? See, at this moment... This man's heart was completely changed. 
seeing all of the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus had brought about a spiritual change, a spiritual awakening in this man's heart. Seeing the meekness in which Jesus had let himself be led to the cross, understanding the contrast between the holiness of Jesus and his own crimes, had not only brought about a great spiritual awakening, we also see a great posture of grace through all of this. Look with me at verse 41. It says this, it says, We indeed justly, this is the thief speaking, he said, For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong at this moment. At this moment, this man was owning his own crucifixion. He was saying, I deserve this punishment that I'm getting. I deserve to be here. But this man on the middle cross doesn't. But I do. He's owning. He's owning up to his sinful lifestyle. He's owning up to his punishment. It is at this moment this man's understand that this thief begins to understand that he has no merit to which he can come before God or no merit to which he could ask Jesus for help. He's become keenly aware of his own sin. The awareness, this awareness has given this man a great advantage over the rest of humanity. You see, most of us want to justify our sins, don't we? It's human nature, unfortunately. We want to justify pride as dignity and unwillingness to forgive as character. And my friends, the list can go on and on and on. But this man knew that he could not justify his sins before a holy God. You see, he feared God, and to fear God means to fear his judgment. And may I make a note here that I believe we've lost the fear of God. We don't talk about it near enough. You see, to fear God means to fear his judgment. At this point, this man was not only physically broken with nails driven through his hands, and, but he was also spiritually broken. He had nothing to offer God. And at this moment, he has become profoundly humble. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this man had lived a lifetime of sin, and in just a few moments, he's going to be before the judgment throne of God. He understood the cost of his sin, along with understanding that he could do nothing to save himself. He understood that this Jesus, who was crucified next to him, was innocent and had done nothing wrong. So gathering up his strength, he comes to grips with the sobering reality. Gathering up his strength, he looks over at Jesus and he says these words. Remember me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. At this moment, knowing that there was nothing he could do to save himself, he looks at Jesus and says, remember me. Notice he didn't say, remember my works or remember that I aligned myself in your death he just said, remember me. He was asking for mercy. He was asking for mercy from the only one who could save him, and that was Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's all any of us can ever ask for. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing that you or I can ever do to earn merit with God. This man on the cross understood that. The only way that we can be saved is through Christ and him alone. This thief was not placing his hope 
in his church attendance. He wasn't placing hope in baptism. He wasn't placing hope in a seminary degree. No, this thief only knew Jesus and him crucified. Church, may we have that same hope. May we remember that Christ is the object of our faith. Christ is our salvation. But instead, he was placing his hope. He was placing his hope in Jesus, the only one who could save him. With a simple statement, remember me, this man is acknowledging that Jesus is all that he has. This man is broken and in need of salvation. All he could ask for was mercy. But as we read further, we see something amazing begin to happen. The silent Savior begins to speak. It is at this point that we see a divine salvation taking place. Look with me at verse 43. So after the thief has said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, you can only picture Jesus looking over at this man and him speaking these words. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Suffering Savior is no longer silent. At this moment, salvation was made secure for the dying thief. Jesus was making a promise to this man that he would be with him in heaven. It is at this moment Jesus was taking this man's sin upon himself and the suffering thief who had once been the lowest of the low has now been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see the progression here? It was by God's grace that this man was convicted of his need for salvation. It was by faith this man took a stand for Jesus and pleaded for mercy. And it was in Christ alone that salvation was made possible through this dying thief. Salvation is only made possible by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's it. That is how one is saved. Luke also records for us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and he had perfectly fulfilled this mission. And he was fulfilling this mission even while dying on the cross. Salvation was made possible for this dying thief all because of Jesus. All of the others around Jesus during his dying moments wanted signs and wonders, but no, this man only wanted Christ. The one thief to the right of Jesus understood that this man on the middle cross was dying as an innocent man on his behalf. Brothers and sisters, may we come to know that the only way that we can be saved is through the redemptive power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for us on the cross. This man to the right of Jesus is a picture of what salvation looks like. You, you see the picture here. You have two sides of the cross. You have one side that will follow Jesus and who will trust in Jesus, and then you have the other side who won't. Notice Jesus wasn't talking to the other thief. So my question to you is, which side are you on? What side are you standing on? A man who is coming to Jesus broken with nothing to bring but himself this man is broken and has nothing to bring but himself. And he's moments away from dying. 
This man has come to grips with the reality of his sin and his Savior. A man who has an entire, who his entire life was a thief and was a murderer has now, through Jesus, found life everlasting. In just a few moments, this man was going to witness his Savior dying. He's going to witness Jesus breathe his final breath. And in that moment, all of the sins of the world are going to be placed upon this Savior. The quietest thief has been brought to a new life, all because of what Jesus is doing on the cross next to him. Even in the midst of all the screaming and yelling and pain, the divine saving work of Jesus Christ continues. My friends, Jesus saves. And that is the story of the two thieves on the cross. That is a story of the cross. That is a story of Jesus. This dying thief has shown us that it is never too late to put your faith in Jesus Christ. This dying thief has shown us that there are two sides to the cross. May this be the message that we proclaim, that Jesus saves. And that salvation can only come through him and him alone. There is nothing that we can do to earn it, we must come humbly before our Savior. Jesus was dying in the middle cross to save you and me when we couldn't save ourselves. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, the pastor Alistair Begg, but if you go online and Google the man on the middle cross, you'll see a video circulating around on social media and in the sermon that Alistair preaches, he, he gives us kind of a picture of, of what this scene might have looked like when this thief got to heaven. And when he was making up this theoretical story of what it could have looked like, Alistair described it in, in this way. When the thief died, he entered into heaven. And when he got there, the angels looked a little perplexed as to why he was here. And they looked at him like, why are you here? And the thief said, I don't know. And he's like, the angel said, well, let me go get my supervisor. So he goes and gets the supervisor. And then the supervisor asks him the same thing. Why are you here? And he said, I don't know. And then the supervisor asks him, what merit, what basis are you here? And Alistair said this in his little illustration. He said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The words that this thief spoke, remember me, expressed his faith, expressed his trust in Jesus, and expressed that Christ in him alone was the only one that could ever save him. So brothers and sisters, what does this thief's redemption teach us? Well, it teaches us that salvation doesn't come by works, but it only comes by grace. It's all of grace. To presume on our works is to be just like the dying thief to the left of Jesus. Friends, when we enter the judgment throne of God, when we come before him one day, he's going to see one of two things. He's either going to see yourself or me, or he's going to see Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want him to see Christ. I don't want him to see me. So it teaches us that salvation doesn't come by works. It also teaches us not to despair. Are you caught in sin? Perhaps sin so unspeakable that if others would know you would be considered a wretch or even worse. Take heart and know that salvation is never too late. 
It is never too late to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Take home and know that it's never too late. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross was for you and for me. What does the old hymn say? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The thief's redemption brings us assurance that it is never too late to trust him. So my question to you is tonight, are you trusting him? Have you put your faith, your hope, your trust? Is your life reflecting that? Are you trusting in him tonight? And if you are trusting in him, are you telling others about the salvation that you have in him? Are you letting others know about this great God that you serve, the one who died for you? Are you looking to him? Christ who is the object of your faith. You're trusting in him. Are you telling others about him? The love that Jesus has expressed here in this passage, it is a love that any of us can never, that we can never put into words. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you, if you're in him, tell others about him. And if you're not, it's never too late to come to him. You come just as you are. Holy Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather with your people and, Lord, to study your word. Father, it is by grace alone that we are saved through your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, what a blessing it is, Lord, that we know him. And, Lord, what a blessing it is of salvation. Lord, may we always look to you in all that we do. And, Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.